Welcome to Approaching Zion, episode number five. We're going to be talking about women and the priesthood and the patriarchal order. This is actually an exciting episode. This is something that the brethren, in particular, the current First Presidency, have spoken probably more plainly and directly on than any other presidency previously. So um, it also speaks to kind of some internal movements within the church to expand or, or strive to um, integrate women into the priesthood more. We'll talk about how there might be some misunderstandings in relation to that movement, how some don't even realize what women already have in the priesthood. So there's going to be a lot of, of really cool uh, topics we're going to get to address and some perspectives that hopefully will clarify a lot of, of what the priesthood is about for for women, for men, and for the church in total. What's exciting is that the restoration is a process. It was not an event that occurred. It's ongoing. And I think there were many revelations that were given to Joseph Smith that maybe are still in the process of being implemented or coming to fruition. Yep. And I think, I mean, we're a church... We're a religion of personal revelation where we have the gift of the Holy Ghost and each of us individually can receive gifts of the Spirit and personal revelation. And I think we are seeing a lot of members in the church having discernment and revelation and understanding uh, greater light and knowledge uh, about many gospel principles, doctrinal principles, and... I think it's very exciting to see the expansion of some of these ideas and greater understanding coming to light. And and as we're going to see with some of these talks by President Nelson and President Oaks, uh, there are great things happening in it. If you're not paying attention and following closely, right, the references they're making can be subtle at times. But it's really some of the most amazing things we've ever seen in the restored gospel. And and ultimately, we will want to. What we want to drive home is, I don't ever want to hear another righteous sister in the church, especially a sister who has gone to the temple, who has been endowed and received that gift from her father in heaven. Say something to the effect of, "Oh, I wish I had." the priesthood in my home, maybe whatever, whatever the circumstances, maybe, maybe she's widowed or maybe she has never been married or, or maybe she was married, but her husband wasn't a member. The, the concept or the idea that you are a righteous daughter of God and because of other people's choices, you don't have the priesthood in your home. I think that's a false notion and one that the brethren are, are desperately trying to dispel and, and trying to get these sisters to comprehend that you have the priesthood and we're going to outline that in a in a very succinct structured way to where you can make sense of exactly what the Lord is giving you and the authority you have as a faithful sister in Zion. So there's a lot of confusion I think terminology in part can be confusing because we have the priesthood, we have uh, priesthood ordinations or we have offices of the priesthood. We have priesthood keys. Uh, they all 
mean similar things. They're all related, but they're all different. And how does that apply to each of us individually? So that's what we're going to be looking at. And let's get started just with the basics. Let's go. Let's start at square root one. What the what we always talk about when we're talking about the priesthood. That's the base definition of what is priesthood. And we have two, we're going to be using two main talks throughout this episode. This one, this episode might be a little bit different than uh, our previous episodes. We're going to be pulling uh, a lot of sources from two talks, one from President Nelson called Spiritual Treasures, one from President Oaks called The Melchizedek Priesthood and the Keys. These are both conference talks um, within the past couple of years, pretty recent. And let's start off by pulling up President Oaks's talk and get a definition of priesthood here. The priesthood is a divine power and authority held in trust to be used for God's work for the benefit of all of his children. So what is priesthood? Divine power and authority. Divine power and authority for the benefit of all of God's children. So priesthood is authority. Authority to act in God's name or authority to perform and participate in the work of salvation. Um, Very interesting today, actually, there were recent updates to the general handbook that just got pushed out. And one of the things that changed was um, the phrase, uh, the work and glory of God, to participate in the work um, of salvation and exaltation. They changed it instead of saying the work, they changed it to say God's work. Meaning the emphasis is the work is God's. It's God's work to bring to pass salvation, exaltation, and our immortality. We participate in God's work. The work is his. It's not, it's not yours. It's not mine. The work is God's. Priesthood is authority that he gives us to participate in doing his work. God's work of salvation on the earth. I think it's important as well to point out in Elder Oak's statement here the priesthood is God's or divine power and authority. There's nothing in regards to offices that he's stating here. So in the eternal sense, the priesthood is power and authority from God. Now to administer that priesthood for those of us here in mortality, there is an organization and a structure to administering that. But as we'll see later on, for those who go and and are righteous and are endowed and remain true and faithful, that divine power and authority cannot be withheld or or boxed into offices, right? It it is something that can be received by all of God's children, brother and sister, male and female. Well, and that's the next part of the quote here from the talk, exactly, is that priesthood is not those who have been ordained to a priesthood office or those who exercise its authority. Men who hold the priesthood are not 
the priesthood. Well, we should not refer to ordained men as the priesthood. It is appropriate to refer to them as holders of the priesthood. This is important because it's not the priesthood. It's, it's priesthood. It's authority. Right? Priest, the priesthood is not a group of, of men who are ordained to offices. It's the authority of God, period, in all of its forms. That is priesthood. The priesthood is for those who are doing the work of salvation to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That ultimately is the purpose of God and the purpose of his priesthood. So all saints, male and female, men and women, who are faithful and true, are, are part of and performing work within the priesthood, within the power of God to do so. So along those lines, what all counts as, as priesthood then? And so we, we've established it's not just offices. So if it's authority, well, that means any calling, for example, that you receive in the church is also priesthood. Uh, when you are called, you are set apart, and you are given authority, you're given stewardship, you now have access to revelation on behalf of, of those you are called to serve. That is priesthood authority. I think, we're, I think one of the things we'll probably find throughout this, this discussion is that priesthood is very connected with revelation. When you have priesthood authority, when you have authority and power to assist in doing God's work, that comes with revelation, with the Holy Ghost, with, with that spirit of, of discernment, with enlightenment and ideas, to be able to know his will and be able to execute it. It's, we so often associate the priesthood strictly to those who hold specific keys in the priesthood. And I think because we focus so much on, well, who holds the keys to X, Y, and Z, right? Whatever it may be that we're trying to accomplish, whatever specific problem or opportunity we're looking to address in the church, we focus on who is the priesthood holder who holds those keys. And so this, this perspective gets ingrained within us where we focus completely and totally on who has the keys to perhaps address a certain problem. But what we do is we tend to then not focus on the fact that all who are righteous within, within God's, God's kingdom, within his, his gospel, all have access to that priesthood, not just those who have been delegated specific keys, but all of his faithful children have access to that priesthood and the power and the authority that comes from it. And I think that's, if there's one thing we can really drive home to people is there are specific keys of the priesthood to uh, administer specific ordinances within the priesthood. But don't get so focused on those things that you, you don't see the fact that all of God's children have access to his power and his authority to 
to act and perform in the work of salvation. It's something I see sometimes in the church is we have people called to leadership positions and sometimes just through maybe lack of experience, uh, maybe they're still growing into their callings and they're, they're, they're still learning, uh, right? I'm not here to judge anyone individually, but we see sometimes that we get people get called into leadership positions and sometimes they're always looking to someone else or someone above them to tell them when and how to act and not taking initiative and taking full advantage of the authority that they've been given to exercise that calling. And it's difficult because, you know, we don't have a paid ministry. We don't have people who are, are, are going, uh, to, you know, to school mm-hmm. to, to learn how to... Yeah, there's no, be, there's no seminary in the traditional sense of, hey, you're going to go to yeah. a university for several years to learn how to perform the work you're going to be asked to do. You have a Relief Society president or an Elders Current president, and, you know, but before being called, they may have had zero leadership experience whatsoever. So, um, you know, we all have to grow into our kindness. That's one of the purposes of callings is to have that opportunity to get experience and and have have experience to in, in leadership in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise through our our life experience. Um, I mean, that one of the great attributes and examples of Christ was his leadership. And that gives us opportunity to imitate him and learn from his example through experiences we wouldn't have in our normal day-to-day life. And the beautiful thing is, if you are called to a position in which you know I have, I have no formal training or understanding of what I'm supposed to do or how I'm going to accomplish this, it really does humble you. And really, I think this is almost divinely appointed to, to, do, to do it this way in the church because it forces you at that point to humble yourself to first and foremost rely on the Lord and his guidance and his spirit to rely on the, the priesthood power you already have access to and then to truly be unified as one body of Christ and work with others and 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 do what is necessary to come together and accomplish the work and the task at hand that the Lord has assigned for you to do. It really does require faith and execution on that faith so that you can accomplish the work that the work, you said this earlier, it's not the work, it's God's work. This is his work. We just have to get in line with well, that's what's beautiful. We become instruments in his hands. When we, when we have that humility, when we're living by faith, when we're seeking to live by revelation, meaning not our will, but his will, that's how his work is done on the earth. It's through the ministry of angels. That's on both sides of the veil. On this side of the veil, we work in that ministry. Yep. We do his work. And we do our best uh, to make his will happen in the, the small ways that we're able to do so. Elder Oaks goes on to talk about leadership and about priesthood keys. He says, 
those who hold leadership positions in the ward exercise priesthood authority in their leadership by reason of their callings and under the setting apart and direction of the priesthood leader who holds the keys. This is how authority and power of the priesthood is exercised. Interesting that he does not say those who hold um, elders quorum positions or those who are... Priesthood offices. uh, uh, Yes, those who have a priesthood office, right? He's specifically including all in the ward Mm -hmm. who receive any leadership position, right? And then goes on to explain that they have access to exercise priesthood. Yeah, if you read in the other direction, what he's saying is the exercise of the priesthood is people in leadership positions performing their callings. Correct. And I, I mean, it says leadership positions, but any calling has stewardship, is, is has leadership in a sense, meaning there are things to, that need to be done and you oversee them getting done. And this is just such an important principle. His example here is talking about the ward. So who holds the keys of the priesthood for the ward? The bishop. Okay, like let, let's let's turn our imaginations on. He has a big one of those big old key rings that has a whole bunch of keys on it. He holds the keys. Okay, well, what does he do? He starts, right, the, the scriptures say the bishop has the gift and spirit of discernment for assigning those keys for calling people to different callings. So the bishop has all those keys, and he goes and starts distributing them. Let's say he's making copies of the keys. <laughs> but he's he's distributing those keys among the, the ward family. And then everyone, under his direction, using his keys, have a little bit of that authority to work autonomously within their sphere, within their calling, to seek personal revelation, and doing those functions. They have authority regardless of if they have an office in the priesthood or not, regardless of if it's man or a woman, adult or youth. They all have priesthood delegated to them to perform their functions. As we'll see later on in, in our discussion, this becomes even more clear and, and easier to understand as we discuss in more depth, in particular, the, the work of salvation being done in the temple. But I, I want to point out that some people who are well acquainted with the temple, it's easier for them to understand the concept of this delegation and this work that is performed by both brethren and sisters equally. Um, it's a little more obvious than the temple. However, you can take a step back, so to speak, just within the ward, the same work is being accomplished. The same work of salvation for the living, essentially, is being accomplished in the church and in the ward on a day-to-day basis. And we tend to feel like the temple exercises the priesthood one way and the ward exercises priesthood another way, and that's incorrect. They're both exercised in the exact same way. And we need to change our perspective to understand just as women 
exercise the priesthood in a very obvious way in the temple. Women are also exercising the priesthood in a very obvious way in, in their ward callings as well. We just have a, a mental block, a, a something that prevents us from looking at it from that perspective where we don't focus on that as much and we don't, we don't assist women in feeling really empowered and understanding that they have access to the priesthood to exercise their calling, essentially. Well, let's look at the Relief Society. It's very clear when you study the Revelations and you study history of the church, Joseph Smith organized the Relief Society to be the counterpart of the Elders Quorum. And that's exactly how we see it organized in the church. You have an elders quorum presidency. You have a relief society presidency. Okay, what does it mean to be a presidency? It means you have a leader. You have leadership who presides. And what does it mean to preside? It means you have authority to officiate. The relief society is not sitting around waiting for someone from the elders quorum to come in so they can start their meetings. That's not how it works. They have authority delegated to them to perform their functions. They have priesthood. They have authority of God to work in the salvation of his children. And you can see Joseph Smith was, he he already had these ideas Um, coming out in Doctrine and Covenants 25. This is a very, very special revelation that was given to to Emma. And if you study it closely, there's some very key words that, to me, just jumped off the page when you put it in context of a revelation given to Emma, to to a woman. And I'm going to pull that up here. Behold, thy sins are forgiven thee. Thou art an elect lady whom I have called. So that already jumps off the page. Elect lady is very synonymous with having your calling and election made sure. Right, we're talking elect lady, we're thinking queen and priestess. We're thinking highest calling, highest office in the priesthood. And that's exactly what he says. The office of thy calling shall be for comfort unto my servant Joseph Smith Jr., thy husband, in his afflictions, with consoling words and the spirit of meekness. And down in verse 7, thou shalt be ordained under his hand to expound scriptures and to exhort the church according as it shall be given thee by my spirit. So, this is a revelation to Emma. She is an elect lady with an office in her calling and ordained to work in the church according to the spirit. So, very clearly, we are seeing in the Doctrine of Covenants and the revelations given through Joseph Smith that women are active participants in priesthood. It it seems obvious here as well that as husband and wife, 
righteously, faithfully, equally yoked together that both male and female have the opportunity to access the priesthood equally, that they both have an office and a duty to fulfill within the priesthood. Now here it was it's also talking about some of the specific things that Emma was going to assist Joseph with, um, including acting as scribe temporarily and, and things to that that aspect. But essentially what the Lord is, is saying here is as the wife of Joseph, you have an office, you have a, a basically an opportunity, a duty to fulfill, and that each woman in the church essentially has that office as well. Now you may not you may not be married. You may not have that that husband there next to you. However, there is an a, a, an office or a duty for you to perform in the church, and and to access the power of the priesthood in order to fulfill that duty that the Lord has in store for you. Well, what this also says to me is that Joseph Smith could not have fulfilled his calling as prophet without Emma. She was divinely called and appointed to her office to give him support and give him comfort and uh, help him in expounding the scriptures to assist him in exhorting the church and help him in, in fulfilling the will of God through the Spirit in ways that he needed Right, that is when we when when we look at the commandment for man and woman to be one flesh. It's because man and woman are only complete with each other. There are divine attributes of both man and woman that, and we both need each other. And I think it's very powerful language to see that Joseph Smith needed his wife to be able to magnify his calling and and successfully execute the work of the restoration that he was called to do. As we mature in the gospel, as we gain a deeper understanding of the eternities and how the Lord structures his work and his glory, as we grow closer to him, we start to gain a deeper understanding of how imperative it is that you have male and female equally yoked, moving in the same direction with the Lord to fully and completely accomplish the work of the salvation of his children. It is always the intent, the fullest exercise of the priesthood, the greatest manifestation of God's work can only be accomplished through male and female working together, working in unison, in in harmony to perform the work of salvation that the Lord has in store for his children. And, And that becomes more obvious as you mature and grow in the gospel, not less. I mean, you start to understand that everything we do of significance requires that equal equal yoke between 
God's sons and daughters moving in lockstep according to his will and his way. So with that in mind, Emma being called as an elect lady, receiving an office, being ordained, and called to many functions. I'm going to switch over to President Nelson's talk, Spiritual Treasures. It's just an amazing quote here. The heavens are just as open to women who are endowed with God's power flowing from their priesthood covenants as they are to men who bear the priesthood. I pray that truth will register upon each of your hearts because I believe it will change your life. We're going to get into this a little deeper about the importance of the temple and how that plays a role in the patriarchal order of the priesthood and how the, the endowment gives that fullness of priesthood blessings and that patriarchal priesthood, the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood to both men and women. Both men and women receive the same ordinance, the same make the same covenants, receive the same blessings, and are given the same authority through their endowment. And as this starts to make more sense, it really is life-changing to both men and women to understand these principles and understand how it, it makes that makes the priesthood so much closer to us and more readily accessible and in, 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 in it empowers us. And I feel like that's really getting to the point of when the scriptures say that the endowment is, is being given, that the endowment gives us power from on high. I feel like this is really the angle to how that power is accessed. And we'll see as we get into some of our deeper discussions related to the temple and priesthood and, and women and the priesthood. It cannot be said that women do not have an office or keys in the priesthood. I know that sounds contradictory. We're going to talk about that a, a little bit later on, but there is a divinely ordained and appointed role within the priesthood that women have, and then there is a divinely ordained, appointed role that brethren have in the priesthood. And because of our nomenclature, because of the culture we have, because of the way that we have administered the gospel and with limited understanding, we typically always associate keys or offices to just what is being performed right now within the church. But as we kind of explain or, or elaborate on some of our understandings of men and women and their divinely appointed role, we'll kind of talk about how each are equally yoked in this process of the salvation of God's children. So one interesting thing to consider is how the priesthood ordinations and the priesthood offices um, tie into our individual covenant paths back to the presence of the Father. Because 
for men to go to the temple, we must first be ordained elders and receive the Melchizedek priesthood. Uh, not the case for women. When we perform initiatories for the dead, the men first ordain the dead to the office of elder, to, the, to a priesthood office, before proceeding with the ordinances. Not the case for women. So what, what do we learn from that? Well, we learn that priesthood ordinations is not part of the woman's covenant path. It's simply not necessary to receive an ordination for her to be, receive her salvation and her exaltation. And we also learn that men, therefore, have a greater accountability. Um, you, maybe you could say a greater burden to magnify that priesthood office in the kingdom of God or within the church, meaning there is a responsibility. There is an, right, it's part of the oath and covenant that comes with those offices to not just work on behalf of your salvation and the salvation of your family, but to also work and participate in the work of salvation, exaltation um, in the kingdom of God. And for men, magnifying those offices are required for us to become clean from the blood and sins of the generation in which we live. This really gets to what is our divinely appointed role? Because that, that's essentially what this boils down to. And I, I alluded to this earlier. We each have a role to play. It's clear in the initiatory and in the endowment in general, part of the role that, that men, that the brethren of the church have, is to receive a specific ordination, a specific office in the priesthood, and then they must prove true and faithful to that office, to that ordination that they receive. Now, the role, what is, what is the role or what is the associated office for women in the priesthood? Well, we see this perfect symbiotic balance in the work of salvation of God's children. Because the, the divinely appointed role, as clearly demonstrated in the family proclamation, is that women, their office, their role, essentially, one that they receive before this life even was, was to come to earth and then as part of their role to bring God's spiritual sons and daughters from him down to this mortal probationary state, right? This is the first and initial step of any of the work of salvation, any of the work and glory of God must go through the woman, right? They bring those sons and daughters from the father to earth. And then the flip side occurs for men. Once men are here, they receive their ordination 
to the priesthood. And then their role is the inverse, right? Is that now that those sons and daughters are on earth, they are ultimately accountable for bringing those sons and daughters of God from earth back to the presence of the Father. And so we see this equal yoking of men and women. We see this symbolically in the, in the endowment creation story of Eve being the first to partake, essentially kicking off the process of bringing children into the world. She was right? fulfilling that foreordination. Foreordination. Yes, that's correct. And it's, it is not a coincidence that one of the greatest tools the adversary uses is to demean, belittle, and put asunder the role divinely appointed of being a mother. This is so looked down upon by the world as if it is, according to the world's definition of the patriarchy, this is a way for men to control and to keep women under their shoes, so to speak, you know, is that being a mother and being tied down by these children that they bring into the world, when really the exact opposite is the truth, is that the greatest potential the greatest blessings, the greatest discovery of who you are as a woman is to be found and received through your divinely appointed role as a mother. Now, let's be sensitive. There are those who, for whatever natural cause, cannot bear children in this life. Let's be clear. That does not mean your divinely appointed role as a mother is forfeited. In fact, the opposite is true and clearly stated in the restoration of the gospel. If you do not bear children in this life, does that divinely appointed role and office in the priesthood go away? No. The exact opposite is promised to you, that you will be a mother. Why? Because you have been foreordained to become such. Preach my gospel says that everything that is unjust about this life can be healed and fixed through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And clearly these situations that prevent a woman from fulfilling uh, that foreordination of, of being a mother, clearly that's unjust. That's a consequence of mortality that is, it, it's not the will of the Lord. Yeah. And the atonement of Jesus Christ certainly, certainly covers that. Um, I find it interesting. You're talking. You're talking about the the Adam and Eve, and and Eve fulfilling that foreordination by partaking of the fruit and and bringing life into the world. Because I, that's the Lord also makes it very clear that through childbearing, salvation was going to be brought to them as well. Mm that through the seed of the woman would come the power to crush the head of the serpent, because through the seed of the woman, the Savior of the world would be born and fulfill his mission and his work of salvation on our behalf. And it's just, it's just a beautiful example of priesthood. It is the woman's priesthood. 
and we live in an we, we live in a, a a time of great opposition to God's plan. Great, great opposition. But that's also the greatest of all blessings, because within the with with the greater opposition comes the greater light and truth when we exercise our agency correctly. And what I'm getting at with that is we live in the fullness of times when women have the most opportunities available that they've ever had. And they have full access to education, full access to careers and being able to work and live any type of life that they choose to work, which is certainly a blessing and provides a fullness of agency. And that means that when a woman today chooses, despite having acquired an education, despite having a career, but still chooses to fulfill that foreordination of motherhood, it is that means she's just bringing greater blessings upon her because she is using her agency against all opposition uh, to, to do the opposite. And that opens up the greatest of blessings possible through that choice. So let's connect a couple dots here. Women are already ordained or foreordained to fulfill their part of of exercising the priesthood, right? To bring life into the world from the Father. As they exercise that faithfully, and I might add, as they are willing to exercise that, for whatever case, they either have not, you know, not been able to have the opportunity to bear children, or for whatever reason, they're not physically able to bear children. But if they have that willingness of heart, in any case, we see in the temple the endowment, starting with the initiatory and then moving into the actual uh, endowment presentation. They, they do not, the, the wo- words are not spoken to them that through their faithfulness, they receive the realization of these blessings. No, they've already received their ordination and through their willingness to fulfill what they've been ordained to do, they already qualify to receive the blessings that Father has in store for them. Whereas for the men, we receive our ordination in this life and then must be true and faithful to that, that calling and that office we receive. And then we, we can qualify for the realization of those blessings we receive in, or, or that are pronounced upon us in the temple, right? So it's really kind of a perfect balance of what women have already done, what they're willing to do, and, and what men must do in order to realize the blessings pronounced upon them in the temple. Right. Because women, through the initiatory and the endowment, what do we see? Women are washed clean from the blood and sins of this generation through virtue through the virtue of their priesthood yep their calling as wives that they will make in the new and everlasting covenant of marriage and motherhood participating in God's work of bringing his children into the earth that 
is their priesthood, that is their foreordination, that is their that is their primary calling, and that is sufficient for their salvation and exaltation. It's 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 beautiful. And on on the flip side, for the men, we are we have our our responsibilities with the family and as husbands and as fathers, but we also have the additional responsibility of magnifying those priesthood offices and the fulfillment of our initiatory blessings of being washed clean from the blood and sins of this generation is very much conditional on that that those extra efforts in magnifying that office outside the family but in the kingdom now that's not to say women can't or shouldn't participate in the work in the kingdom of course not the opposite uh, is true of course yeah. they should <laughs> yeah and and of course they do and many times more faithfully than the men do brothers yeah but that is just that is by nature of the attributes of Christ that they have that they put themselves out there to to participate in the work and that's just a manifestation of of the glory of the woman and the great attributes of Christ that I believe they inherently have and they bring with them into this life and and they participate and they and they exercise that priesthood in their callings and and in the kingdom even though it's not a necessary element in that covenant path of becoming clean and 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 returning to the presence of the father you know this it's important that we point out and and I point this out with sensitivity to all of of God's children on the earth, both in the church and outside of the church. But because this is also such a hot topic right now, as as the proclamation on the family pronounces, as it clearly states, who you are, male or female, that individual identity that you came into the world with, it is so important to understand that identity that God intends you to be. And it is so key and critical to your eternal progression and the person that the Father has in store for you to become. I, I want to be sensitive to those who have particular feelings, particular struggles, uh, particular things that they may look at and say, I don't feel a certain way. I don't fit into that I don't that fit model, into that, that model. model. Yes, I understand that. However, my plea is turn to the Lord, ask him for guidance, and frankly, for revelation. What is my divine role as a daughter of God or the inverse? What is my divine role as a son of God? You may feel different. You may feel on the outside sometimes. You may feel like an outcast or you don't fit in. You may feel like you don't fit into the body that this world has given you. However, that is not the case in the kingdom of God. There is a place for you. 
who you are and your identity is unique to you. Your mission and your responsibility is not to try and change or turn away from that identity. It is to learn to embrace that identity that you were born to be and understand how to use it to the greatest power and benefit of yourself and to all of God's children around you because you were meant to do great things. And so don't listen to or succumb to the teachings of men, to the ways of the world that say, you, who you are doesn't matter. You can be whoever you want to be. That's wrong. You are meant to be who the Lord intends for you to be. And the proclamation on the family clearly stipulates that your role as a woman or your role as a man is meant to help you and assist you in your eternal progression. You are who you are for a reason, and we just have to unlock and understand why we are that person and what the Lord intends for us to do with that identity that we have come into this world with. I don't know how else to say it, being exact and being honest and being truthful, but also being sensitive to the the issues and to the plight and to the difficulties that many, particularly the youth of the church, face today. I understand the pressures of the world. And, and frankly, I understand what it is to be an outsider looking in and feeling like I don't fit in. The first step is not to question who you are. God made you the way you are for a reason. The first step is to question who is God calling me to be and then taking that and magnifying it to the greatest degree because God did not make a mistake with who you are and what he has called you to become. So embrace that, learn from it, and become better and grow brighter because of that. I don't want to get, I don't want to take us too far off topic, but one of the great blessings of the endowment is it facilitates personal revelation around self-discovery of ourself. In the endowment, we are given priesthood keys that can be used for personal revelation and in working out our salvation and our exaltation and working our way back to the presence of God. And those keys that we are given, they are designed to open the heavens that we may receive truth. And truth is knowledge of things as they were, as they are, and as they will be. Therefore, the in, in the endowment, we're given keys of revelation to better understand our true identity. There are keys given to us to understand who we were in the past life, before being born in this earth. There are keys given to us to receive revelation regarding our identity now, 
in this life, and there are keys given to us to understand the identity of who we can become and who we have uh, been foreordained to become in God's plan. And my invitation to anybody hearing this, be it youths, be it young adults, that are struggling with identity. In any way. In any way. In any form. Yeah. In any form, is to seek the blessings of the endowment. Do what it takes to get your temple recommend and receive those blessings that the Lord has for you in his holy house. And when you receive them, go back frequently so that you can learn to understand them and apply them in your daily life. And I promise you that as you learn to exercise those priesthood keys that you receive in the temple, your vision of who you are in God's eyes will become clear to you. And you will be empowered to walk back into his presence as his child and have that pure and true relationship with him and receive the fullness of eternal blessings. Amen to that. I can testify I felt the Spirit as you spoke of those sacred sacred truths that the endowment offers to God's faithful children who are willing to make those covenants. It's important to point out that one of the blessings of the restoration of the gospel, one of the things that we have come to understand and that the Spirit bears witness of is unlike some of our other Christian brothers and sisters who, by no fault of their own, don't have this understanding, our journey did not begin when our life was conceived in this mortal existence and then only continues after this life with, with God in heaven if, if we're true and faithful. No, our journey has been one of eternity and this life is but another stepping stone, albeit a, an important one. I don't want to trivialize that. However, do not sacrifice the blessings of eternity both past and present, for temporary mortal frustrations, disappointments, or uncertainties. Hold to the rod, one step at a time. Remain faithful as best you can. Trust in the Lord. You have always existed. He has always known who you are. He has always been preparing a way, a path forward for you. And so long as you remain true to that, that path always exists, always. So if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you don't feel comfortable in your own skin sometimes, and I mean that in every way, hold true and faithful. 
because the Lord knows you. He knew you and he knows what's coming next for you. He sees it all, the past, the present, the future for each of us individually. And the tests you might be going through in this life are meant to help prepare you for the blessings he has in store for you in the existence, the life to come, the eternities that follow. Don't sacrifice that. Don't step off the path that you've walked faithfully to get you to this point because of your hesitancy or your concern. Continue true and faithful. As President Uchtdorf has said, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Continue holding fast to the truth that is God the Father and Jesus Christ. They have better things to come in the future. I'd like to transition to the topic of the patriarchal order of the priesthood, which is actually very relevant to the endowment and our temple ordinances that we've been discussing. Uh, The first thing to understand about the patriarchal order is that it was the system of government that was established on the earth with Adam and Eve. The first government, the king and queen, priest and priestess on the earth, were Adam and Eve, our first parents. And the governmental structure that existed on the earth was patriarchal in nature. Adam and Eve ruled and reigned over their posterity. That continued uh, for, for many, many years. Well, up to uh, Noah, yeah. right? So Adam and Eve, they had faithful kids, and they had kids that Cain, right? They had kids that fell away. And the world got progressively worse and worse until all of Adam and Eve's posterity had fallen away, <laughs> except for Noah and his family, right? There was the whole city of Enoch, but <laughs> they just, they just... <laughs> They just booked it out of here. <laughs> they just up and left. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> so what do we see with the story of Noah? Well, it's the exact same story that's repeated. Noah started over with the same patriarchal order. He was, in in a sense, a new Adam. And we might we should add Noah and his wife. Well, of yep. course. Yep. Just, just like Adam and Eve. Yep. It's the same model. Yep. And in God's plan in the eternities and in the celestial kingdom, that is how all things are structured. It's through family. It's through husband and wife, father and mother, exercising authority, priesthood, as patriarch and matriarch over their posterity, ruling and reigning in righteousness, and then allowing their children to exercise their agency however they however they choose and this is important on many levels we should point out too that it can become we we want to be careful and and ensure everyone is clear the patriarchal order according to god's laws is not administered 
anywhere close to what the world calls the patriarchy, right? right? Very similar terminology, but the way in which uh, the kingdom of God is is ordered and executed on is completely different than the patriarchy the world looks down upon. This is man and woman, in, in the case of the examples we've been discussing, husband and wife equally executing the commands of God together, counseling together, and moving in lockstep, in unity together to fulfill the work of salvation. That is completely opposite of the patriarchy that the world speaks of where this concept of men dominating Mm -hmm. or being the final say-so in whatever it may be that is is being decisioned, right? That is absolutely not well, that's, the process the Lord has established for the patriarchal order. That's just unrighteous dominion. Exactly right, yes. And that is, of course, not applicable to any system that is of divine origin. Exactly right, yeah. So two completely separate things, right? That if anything, that would be an order established by the adversary. Mm-hmm to exercise unrighteous dominion on the earth and provide the necessary opposition here on earth. What's interesting is that the church itself is organized in a patriarchal order. And what I mean by that is we have a we have a patriarch at the top, the prophet we have 12 apostles, and why 12? What does the number 12 bring to mind? 12 tribes. 12 tribes of Israel. Well, 12 tribes, 12 sons of Israel. So we have essentially the house of Israel being reorganized through the kingdom of God, through the church. We have the prophet representing Israel and all the blessings of Abraham, Jacob. And then we have the 12 apostles representing those 12 Each tribe. sons. Yep. And, and then that, uh, that structure is then gone, goes down through 70s, stake presidents, bishops, to the wards. And you see it's really just one big family unit after that patriarchal order, the same as you saw with Adam and Eve, the same that you saw with Noah, House of Israel. It's all a patriarchal order in nature. It's a model of the celestial order where everything is governed through the family and through inherent priesthood that you have by being a mother and a father. And I It's not an accident that in order to have those patriarchal callings in the church, bishop, apostle, 70, you have to be married. Yeah. You have to have received those blessings that can only be obtained through the the patriarchal blessing of, of the sealing covenant, right? And the blessings that come from that Holy Spirit of promise that is pronounced upon us, that's clearly a part of the process of being called to a position such as that. 
Well, you, you will not be called to those positions, to those offices, if you do not have a wife who is also true and faithful. Although it is only the man who's ordained to the office, it is both the husband and the wife who are called. Mm. Because that that union, the marriage, is necessary for the calling. This is exactly what we saw in section 25, where Emma was necessary for Joseph Smith to fulfill his calling. Um, there's actually a, uh, there's actually history, historical records, that um, when Joseph Smith was being taught by the angel Moroni, he was instructed to seek out Emma and and for for marriage as his internal companion. The Lord directed him to her because she was capable of um she was necessary for him to to grow in the ways necessary for him to fulfill his calling and that's it, that's beautiful it just shows the importance of 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 marriage and how it's so essential to us fulfilling the plan that has that God has for us in our in our lives and man and woman we can only fully receive the blessings that God has for us together i don't we did not plan on talking about this but it's such a natural outgrowth of what we've been discussing this could be an entire episode almost in and of itself but a heavenly father the only begotten Son of the Father, Jesus Christ, the patterns and models we see in this life, everything we've been talking about up to this point, all testifies of and points us to the fact that not only do we have a Heavenly Father who leads, guides, directs His children through the work of salvation, but that must also mean that there is also a heavenly mother who is just as engaged and equally yoked in the work and salvation of their children together. Now, there's a lot of reasons why it's not discussed often, that there's not curriculum put out in regards to this. But to think that the same model we have been called to abide by here and that we know will progress in the eternities is not the model that Heavenly Father uses, is faulty thinking. It is the same model. We do have heavenly parents. And I think as time has gone by, we discuss this a little more openly in in the church. And I actually had a professor at BYU who wrote an an entire thesis on our heavenly mother and actually submitted it to the, I believe it was the Harvard uh, Religious Journal or something. I can't remember the name of of the journal that, that Harvard publishes for religious studies, but it it is clear that our doctrine and everything we are taught, everything that we are led to in the future clearly demonstrates that we have heavenly parents just as we have earthly parents. And it just testifies of this model and this pattern and what we are trying to become, both male and female together, being equally yoked and participating in the work of salvation 
for God's children. And it's very important to understand the reason that the church is organized the way it is is to teach us about the sacred patriarchal order that exists in the celestial kingdom. The organization of the eternities is through families. And that means husband and wife, man and woman, together as one, equal. And patriarch and matriarch, they both have equal responsibility and equal priesthood in that structure. Can I just point out right there, since part of what we're trying to do in this podcast is illuminate and discuss some of the mysteries of the kingdom, just the concept of how are the eternities structured? Oh, they're structured in family units. That provides such greater clarity and, and frankly for me, comfort to understanding how God will administer the affairs of his kingdom that so many of our other Christian brothers and sisters have no insight into. They have no understanding of how life after this mortal existence will operate and will work. And, and so it's important to point out that as part of the restoration, there are mysteries that are being plainly given to you that sometimes in, in the church we don't consider mysteries because to us it's a little more common knowledge, right? But if somebody outside the church heard that, like, wait a minute, the eternal plan is for us to continue to be organized by family unit? Yes, children of Israel, prototype of this. Everything that we've done since then, prototype of this. The church today is a home-centered, family-centered, you know, church-supported operation. The church is a model, yep. but it is a preparatory organization. Yep, correct. That it, it's, it has the purpose of perfecting the family unit and taking that family unit through the eternities. And that's so important when we're talking about priesthood and the role of man and woman in the priesthood, it's so, so important to understand that whole concept, those revelations of family and how it pertains to the eternities. And the more your eyes are open to it, the more you see that our mortal experience in the celestial kingdom, it's all a model of things to come. But... In the celestial kingdom, they will be perfected and they will be done by individuals who have perfected themselves to a degree to willingly submit to that order and execute those roles as God would have them do. Well, and why why does it matter? Why does it matter so much that the eternities are established by family units? There's a hundred different answers to that. However, one of the most important is who we are and becoming the best of ourselves is done through the responsibilities and the burdens that we bear upon our shoulders. This is something that is, is touched upon as part of the initiatory, is that you have a stewardship. There will be burdens placed upon you. That is not accidental, nor is it a negative thing. It is a positive thing because that responsibility 
that burden put upon you helps you to become the individual, the the husband, the wife, the, the son, the daughter that God intends for you to be. So it is not the case that after this life is over and we receive our eternal reward, everyone just sits around and waits for God to direct you to do whatever it is you're supposed to do. No, your stewardship, your responsibility, those burdens are righteously carried with you into the eternities so that you consistently and and constantly exercise that righteous stewardship as a patriarch. It is the only way to truly understand and gain a deeper uh, respect for, appreciation for, and love for all that the Father does is that we follow in his footsteps. And so that stewardship, that burden is a blessing. It is a gift that we get to do that. And, and again, another mystery unfolded to us is that why are the eternities structured this way? Because it is the only way in which you become like the Father and learn to love him more perfectly and be like him more perfectly and do all things the way he would have them be done. I have a few quotes here from Elder Oaks, President Nelson. Elder Oaks says, A father presides and exercises the priesthood in his family. By the authority of the priesthood, he holds, or his office. He has no need to have the direction or approval of one holding priesthood keys in order to perform his various family functions. Church authorities teach family members, but do not direct the exercise of priesthood authority in the family. This is that's a direct quote straight out of his April 2020 talk, The Melchizedek Priesthood and the Keys. He clearly says, The First Presidency, the Twelve Apostles, they do not and cannot direct the exercise of priesthood authority in the family. They are saying that the patriarchal order of the priesthood is the highest order of the priesthood. It is above and separate from the church. And the exercise of the priesthood in the family is done through that patriarchal order, husband and wife, father and mother, exercising the priesthood that they have. And President Nelson, in his talk, Spiritual Treasures, let me pull that up here because there is just an absolutely... While you're doing that, this is a little bit of an oversimplification, but essentially the administration of the church ultimately is designed to bring the saving ordinances to all of God's children, past, present, future, right? We do the work, we do proxy work, proxy work for uh, for salvation for God's sons and daughters, 
who have lived and didn't have the opportunity to accept him. Those keys, those ordinances must be done by the church and those who have authority to, to do such. Absolutely. But the work of salvation for the living, you, you, may, you must go to perform your baptism by one who has a keys in the church. You must go to perform ordinances of the temple by those who have keys within the church. However, once you perform those... Well, and you must regularly partake of the sacrament. Uh, of course, of that, course. So, that is all of those. The church is essential mm-hmm. in our salvation and exaltation. Exactly right. And so I, I know it's an oversimplification, but essentially, though, outside of those things, every single day, the day-to-day administration and the work of salvation within your home... You, husband and wife, or if you're a righteous male and maybe your wife's not a member, you don't have a wife any longer, or vice versa for for woman, you are ultimately the one who has the keys for the work of salvation in your home and what is being done, the, the work that's being performed, and the blessings received are all coming through you, and they cannot be received any other way. And again... That applies equally to the man as it does to the woman, to the husband and wife, to the father and mother. Equal priesthood. Both presiding in the home. Both presiding in the home. The husband and wife, the father and mother, the patriarch and matriarch is a presidency. And they have and share that priesthood. And President Nelson... He cannot teach this any clearer than he did in this talk here. So spiritual treasures in in October the 2019 General Conference, this was a talk at the Women's Conference. And he clearly says here to the women, if your husband should die, you would preside in your home. The context here is that from the Temple Covenants, flows an endowment of the Savior's priesthood power upon you. So the priesthood power that women receive through their covenants and through the endowment, it gives them priesthood that even if their husband, the priesthood bearer of the home, should die, they would continue to preside in their home. And I don't know how clear it could be. When he says right after that, as a righteous endowed Latter-day Saint woman, you speak and teach with power and authority from God. Well, what did, what did we talk about the priesthood is? It is the divine power and authority of God. President Nelson could not be clearer that women have the priesthood. Endowed righteous women have the priesthood in their homes regardless of whatever the circumstances may be outside of that. We've got to get past this mindset of, I wish I had, or my home does not have a, a priesthood, um, uh, the priesthood in it because there's no male counterpart to me. No. If you are a righteous woman who is true and faithful to the covenants you've made, you have the priesthood in your home. Full stop. And of course, there are certain functions that require keys and require an office to uh, delegate 
or to oversee the execution or the exercise of those functions. But it's, it's clear. It, it, it's clear that the, the, presiding, uh, the presiding keys in the home is the patriarch and the matriarch. And another quote from the same talk. Because the Melchizedek priesthood has been restored, both covenant-keeping women and men have access to all the spiritual blessings of the church. I think that's Doctrine and Covenants 107, maybe, that he's quoting there. Both men and women, when keeping their covenants, are true and faithful to their temple covenants, have access to all the spiritual blessings. And in that scenario where uh, the woman is a, is a widow, she still presides and she still has access to all the spiritual blessings that's available through the Melchizedek priesthood that has been restored. Or we might say to all the spiritual treasures the Lord has for his children. So essentially what we learn here is that the temple, the endowment, is initiating women into the patriarchal order of the priesthood in the role of matriarch to the to the counterpart of the as the counterpart of the patriarch and the the initiatory in the endowment is the initiation into the patriarchal order they receive all of the keys of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood necessary to be initiated into that patriarch or of the priesthood and then through the new and everlasting covenant of marriage is when you're actually fully sealed husband and wife in that order it's clear as well in the in the language used in the endowment and in the initiatory for both man and woman brethren and sisters is that we are washed and anointed to become kings and priests, queens and priestesses. Everything the Lord does, there is a preparatory stage, right? Brethren have, you know, we are bearers of the priesthood. We hold that priesthood in trust. It is, it is God's holy priesthood. But how could women think they could become, you know, when called up to become such a priestess, if they also did not have the priesthood pronounced upon them as part of that endowment ordinance. Well, and it's clear that they will be equally observed yep. by angels, and they will be tested and tried to see if they are true and faithful to that priesthood. And if they are true and faithful in a few things operating in function of priestess, in their life, they will be called up and truly made priestess to the Most High God for eternity. And that is, well, I mean, that's the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, mm. is, is having that sealed upon you to be kings and queens, priests and priestesses. Now, those are different roles, king and queen, priest and priestess, but they are both the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood. 
and they are offices and they are callings that men and women receive through the temple and through the restored ordinances of the gospel. And um, in the teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, there's an amazing quote. Um, when Joseph Smith was organizing the Relief Society, it says, he spoke of delivering the keys of the priesthood to the church and said that the faithful members of the Relief Society should receive them with their husbands. And the saints whose integrity has been tried and proved faithful might know how to ask the Lord and receive an answer or personal revelation. And this just, just look at, listen to the wording of that. That the faithful members of the Relief Society, the women of the church, through the new and everlasting covenant of marriage, receive in the, camp, in the temple keys of the priesthood. So the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, patriarchal keys, are given to both man and woman through the new and everlasting covenant of marriage, through the temple ordinances. Men and women, equal partakers of priesthood. We've got a few more quotes here that teach some similar concepts, but just I think we should read them just to just to really drive it home. Uh, let's see, we've got another quote by Elder Oaks. He says, "Pull it up here." That. Where was it? Well, I let me pull that up here. When a there it is. When a father is absent and a mother is the family leader, she presides in her home and is instrumental in bringing the power and blessings of the priesthood into her family through her endowment and sealing. In the temple. So, again, that is the same principle that Joseph Smith was teaching to the Sisters of the Relief Society. Through the endowment, through sealing, woman has priesthood, and if the father, if her husband, is, is, is absent, she presides in her home and, uh, and is, an, is instrumental, is capable of bringing the power and blessings of the priesthood into her family. And how does she do that? Through her endowment and through those keys received in the temple and the blessings through the sealing covenant. And what's amazing is when you study the history of the church, you see many different manifestations of this that for whatever reason you don't see any more as commonplace in the church. At least it's not discussed or taught publicly. And I'm not sure why, because I, I believe there's, there is power in these concepts and power in understanding this patriarchal order of the priesthood. 
But one example is, uh, here's a quote from Joseph Fielding Smith. Uh, he said, if a woman is requested to lay hands on the sick with any officer holding the Melchizedek priesthood, she may do so with perfect propriety. It is no uncommon thing for a man and wife unitedly to administer to their children. So it is not, in Joseph Fielding Smith's opinion, uh, it is not uncommon for man, for husband and wife to both lay hands on their children when performing a, a blessing, for example. You know, this. I, I think back of how many times in the church we have a, a child or a loved one that's sick, and the first thought is, oh, you need to call so-and-so, our ministering brother or um, one of the other elders in the church, to come and assist you give that blessing. Whereas as we've gone through this process of deepening our understanding of how the priesthood is administered in the home, it seems almost more appropriate to me that should the father be a righteous Melchizedek priesthood holder, the mother who has direct stewardship over that child as well, it seems almost more divine or more appropriate for both husband and wife united in their patriarchal callings, patriarchal matriarchal callings, to perform that blessing together, united as the two who have received the divine stewardship to rear, protect, and provide for the well-being of that son or daughter of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the way it needs to be done or has to be done. Well, it's probably, the church is probably very careful not to talk about this, um, make light of it. Yeah. Because there is a line upon line, there is an understanding that has to, that has to be there to apply this correctly. Because we're not saying uh, that, right, we're not suggesting that patriarchal priesthood the woman has is equivalent to an office mm. in the priesthood in the sense that it is, it, it, things can be performed out of order. That is in no way what we're suggesting. What we are suggesting is that the father or the husband who is a holder or has an office in the priesthood, he has the keys. He he and his wife, they preside, they and they alone, not the church, Elder Oaks made that clear, in exercising that priesthood in their home. And Joseph Fielding Smith said it is certainly compatible with the principles of the church to administer together in doing that. And Joseph Smith said the same thing, quote, respecting females administering for the healing of the sick, there could be no evil in it. If God gave his sanction by, by healing, that there could be no more sin in any female laying hands on and praying for the sick than in wetting the face with water. It is no sin for anyone to administer that has faith, or if the sick have faith, to be healed by their administration. So, we should not limit our faith because of 
our understanding or lack of understanding of priesthood. We should be very careful to study and understand these principles in a way that empowers our faith and gives the most spiritual capacity to both men and women in exercising the authority that they have from God. And in the family, the father and mother have authority of God to administer to their children in the proper order according to their roles and the priesthood that they have. Another example of this is, and you you kind of hinted at this early on, is the model we have in the temple. What do we see in the temple? Well, we see that endowed women can administer ordinances as ones having authority. Priesthood. And... There's another quote here by President Oaks that talks about this. And this is, let me, I'll just read it off here. An ordinance is most commonly officiated by persons who have been ordained to an office in the priesthood acting under the direction of one who holds priesthood keys. For example, the holders of the various offices of the Aaronic priesthood officiate in the ordinance of the sacrament under the keys and direction of the bishop who holds the keys of the Aaronic priesthood. The same principle applies to the priesthood ordinances in which women officiate in the temple. Though women do not hold an office in the priesthood, they perform sacred temple ordinances under the authorization of the president of the temple who holds the keys for the ordinances of the temple. And then President Nelson made uh, a similar comment. He said, Similarly in the holy temple, you are authorized, you, this was a talk given to the women, You are authorized to perform and officiate in priesthood ordinances every time you attend the temple. Your temple endowment prepares you to do so. This is really, I think, where we were trying to get to (laughs) all along. Maybe we just should have started here. But what, what we've been, this is what we've been building up to is the fact that women have priesthood and women can officiate priesthood. They can administer and officiate ordinances of the priesthood if and when they are authorized to do so by those holding keys in priesthood offices. And the temple is the model. The temple is the direction that the church is heading. If you want to see the future of the church, look at the temple. Everything that's coming, we're already being shown a perfect model of how it is to be executed and and exercised. And anyone who has been to the temple should not be surprised 
as we see greater exercise of priesthood authority by women in the church in the future. It's coming. I don't know exactly what it'll look like. I don't know how, from a policy perspective, the church is going to implement things and how um, and, and how things might take shape over the coming years. But I fully believe that the temple is the model. And the temple is showing us that both men and women can, are, and should be active participants in priesthood. And that is both in the church and in the family and in the home. It's not a coincidence that the two places the church is very direct are the most holy places on earth. One, the temple, and then the other likened to it, the home, that men and women together are essentially officiating in the work of salvation, in exercising the, the authority and the power of God as equal bring about as equal in separate capacities in separate capacities a small side note here as well for those who are not maybe as involved in the day-to-day functionality of the temple as, as you and I are it's very interesting that several months ago everyone became aware quickly of the endowment changes and, and some of the more uh, direct applications of, of the endowment to those who attend, the patrons that attend. Well, the video and everything changed. Yeah. Big changes. Yeah. Big changes. What most people, or many people, I should say, were not aware of is that in the endowment, you have a male officiator. Previously, the sister who participated in that was was what we called the, the first follower, right? to the officiator. That is no longer the case. Mm-hmm. The sister in that endowment session who who is ass- assisting essentially or is, is there with the male officiator, with the brother, she is also called an officiator now as well. Which really aligns and, with everything else. Everything else. In, <laughs> that's in the happening temple. in yeah. the temple. And that's not, a, that's not a, a coincidence and it may seem trivial but I don't think so. I think it's really... It's showing direction. Yes. It is showing direction and a a completion of or a fulfillment of ultimately what the Lord wants us to be thinking about. That both men and women in the most sacred places are called to equally officiate and hold the priesthood of God. And that each has their divinely appointed role in that calling and we need to understand what that role is so that we can more effectively um, exercise the power of God in our lives to bless the lives of those around us and in particular our family who we have direct stewardship over and the temple shows us that women can be as engaged and participate in an equal capacity as men. If and when there's a need. The primary focus, and the church has always oriented itself to assist men and women in fulfilling their 
divine roles that are unique to them as individuals. But we're all children of God, and we can all participate equally if and when there is a need to do so. And what we see in the temple is that endowed women can participate and administer ordinances in the same way that men can under direction of priesthood keys, regardless of any ordination or priesthood office. And I think it's important. These are important concepts for every member of the church to, to, to understand because if it were the Lord's will, things could change drastically overnight and how the church is administered uh, when it comes to these preconceived notions and gender roles in the, in the church. It could change drastically and it would not be in any contradiction in any way to the doctrine of the church. Now, I'm not saying it will. I'm not saying it should. I, I can't say either way on any of that. What I'm saying is, doctrinally, it can. And as I saw a video earlier from Elder Bednard, he said, if you don't like change, you might want to find another church. <laughs> That's certainly happening. <laughs> because... President Nelson has made it clear. The restoration is ongoing. There are changes coming. And they will keep coming to the second coming of Christ. And who knows how what they what what they will be, who knows how they will look, what shape they will take, but he has made it clear they're coming. There will be there will be a continual series of fresh revelation from the First Presidency, from the Twelve Apostles, in directing the church. And they could be big, drastic changes sometimes. And that's okay. And we learn through all of these studies we've done, the model of the temple and the model of the home, right? Those are celestial models. And as the church is perfected, the church is going to grow into a similar model and take a similar shape to what we see in the home and in the temple. And it, I just don't see how it could happen any other way. Well, and, and to further that example and that model is that we know in the eternities the greatest blessings and the greatest manifestation of all that the Father has can only be received by male and female, husband and wife, together, equally yoked, administering the holy priesthood of God, righteously looking over and having stewardship and doing all things together. The perfect model of the priesthood, the perfect way for it to be administered, is the way our Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother do it. Together, equally yoked. You cannot have one without the other. And that is ultimately where we're all striving to get to. And so we we have to be willing, as the Lord directs, to adjust and to change some of our preconceived notions about what must be or what should be, because ultimately what will be His way 
is where we need to be, whatever that might be. It will always be better. Yep. And it will always be correct and be moving us towards him. In closing, I just have a few quotes I'd like to share that I think are beautiful. First from Elder Oaks. I encourage each of us to have an have our eye single to receive these truths of eternity so that our bodies shall be full of light. M. Russell Ballard. Sisters, your sphere of influence is a unique sphere, one that cannot be duplicated by men. No one can defend our Savior with any more persuasion or power than you. The daughters of God can. You who have such inner strength and conviction, the power of a converted woman's voice is immeasurable, and the church needs your voices now more than ever. And lastly, I'd like to share the closing remarks that President Nelson gave to the Women's Conference. Now, in closing, I would like to leave a blessing upon you, that you may understand the priesthood power with which you have been endowed, and that you will augment that power by exercising your faith in the Lord and in His power. Dear sisters, with deep respect and gratitude, I express my love for you. Humbly I declare that God lives. Jesus is the Christ. This is His church. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I offer with that my testimony that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the Lord's Church, that priesthood has been restored on the earth, and the fullness of priesthood blessings is available to all of God's children. And I pray and we invite you to seek and ponder Go to the temple as often as possible to truly understand these blessings that are available to us. And it is my prayer that we as a people can establish Zion together and truly apply the power of God, the priesthood authority that we've been given to bring the fullness of his blessings to us on this earth. In the name of Jesus Christ. If the sisters who hear this understand nothing else and don't want to explore anything else we've gone into, understand that by righteous living, walking the covenant path, and receiving endowment blessings, gifts from your Father in heaven, you have the priesthood of God with you. You don't need to know anything other than that. There's more to be learned, more to be received, and more to be clarified. But understand, women have the priesthood and that you should take heart in knowing that the Lord loves you and cares for you. He cherishes you just as much, if not more, than he does for his righteous sons who are on this earth. I testify that the daughters and sons of God are called to equally administer his work and the affairs of his kingdom, that we 
can bring as many of his sons and daughters back to live with him in the eternities. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.